Let's talk about dads. Let's have a little conversation here about dads because Pastor Jordan opened up a couple weeks ago with conversations and we need to learn how to have conversations and he taught us about that. And then last week, Pastor Ken Claydor brought a message, a very difficult message on race, a conversation that we've got to have. Amen? I think he did a marvelous job. Love him, did a great job. I appreciate Pastor Jordan bringing in the, the man that we needed to bring in in order to bring us the message that we needed to hear. Because when you have difficult conversations, that's when things start. It's like a catalyst of things starts. Today, we want to have a conversation about dads. I believe that uh, th there has to be these conversations. I believe there's powerful traits that we can learn from the scriptures about dads. And I, I, I think sometimes dads try to have conversations and uh, we try hard. You know, I remember uh, years ago, I, uh, I, I thought it was time that uh, Jordan uh, would learn about the birds and the bees. You know what I'm talking about? I just, I just figured it was time. I made that decision. Yeah, right. I was talking about it, bro. And so uh, some of you might have heard this, most of you haven't. But I decided, so I got, I got our computer. I got all my programs, all my diagrams, everything of the human anatomy. I had everything ready to roll. I rehearsed over and over again. And so I remember I ushered him in. I sat him down by me, sat right here. We sat down and I, I began my presentation on it. And I went and I went through all the different things. And there was the, anat the, you know, the whole man there with all the inner parts, all right, you know, everything. And I'm explaining. And man, I am feeling real good about what I'm doing. I'm being dad, and I'm having a conversation with my boy. And after about, I don't know, it seemed like 100 years, but maybe it was only about 10 minutes, 15, I don't know how long it was, but uh, I said, well, son, do you have any questions? And he said, yeah, I sure do, boy. I thought, all right, man. Whew. Now I get really get to shine. We're going to get down to the stuff that really matters any. I remember he put his little finger up there, he pointed, he said, uh, how do the kidneys work? <laughs> and so, <laughs> some, <laughs> sometimes you think it's going real good, and it's not going at all. And so I remember then, I, I thought to myself, well, that really failed, and uh, I blamed him. I said, he just didn't get it, but... <laughs> It was probably my fault. But you've you got to have conversations that break open things. And I guess it worked because they got two beautiful daughters now. And so evidently we learned about the birds and the bees. And so, and he's going to kill me when we get home, but <laughs> later on. So one thing we want to we realize that in the room today, there's dads, and we're going to pray for you before it's over with, but there's dads in the room, but there's also all kinds of different families here. There, there, you know, there's nuclear family. That's where mom and dad and kids are in the home. Even extended grandparents are there. And then there's single-parent families, and there's, you know, some men are trying to do it all by themselves, and some women are all by themselves. And then there's, there's also single parents. There's, there's, there's teenagers, and there's single people of all kinds, and, and so we, we, we're talking to men, but really when you look at this conversation, maybe it can help everybody in this room because that's how the Holy Spirit really, really works, and so uh, I thought about the families, uh, and I uh, thought about, well, 
where, where do we find out where is, where's God's plan for a family? And uh, there is a law in, in scriptural study called the law of first mention. And, and what that tells us is that if we want to know God's initial plan about something, we need to find it the first time it's mentioned in scripture. And so we did. And so we went to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And this is what it said. It says that now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she had, uh, she gave birth to Cain, and she said, you know, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And so this is God's initial purpose and plan for the family. A man and a woman who come together and have children that's what we call the nuclear family. That is the family that God, the original design that God had in mind. And then we see in Luke chapter 2, because we always like to bring Jesus, where does Jesus fit into this? And in Luke chapter 2, this is where Jesus, they had all went to Jerusalem. And then they, they left, and a couple of days later, they realized, where's Jesus? They lost him. They left him at Walmart. They thought they didn't know. And so they go back to town, and uh, his parents didn't know what to think. Uh, they said, son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? What, what's going on, Jesus? Why did you come with us? Why, where have you been? What's going on? And, and now notice he said, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, we're searching for you everywhere. But Jesus said, but why did you need to search, he said. He said, why, why are you searching? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? So in these few passages of scripture, we see that Jesus had an earthly father. In other words, God put Jesus in an earthly family. You know, the Bible says in Psalms that God takes the solitary and he places in a family. That tells me that no matter what your situation is, God's got a family, some kind of family, somewhere for you. And here's Jesus with an earthly family, but he makes a distinction there. He says, you know, I've got an earthly mom and an earthly dad, but I also have a heavenly father. I'm in my father's house. Well, it's obvious that he wasn't in his father's house. You know, he wasn't in Joseph's house. He was in his heavenly father's home. And, and so God's standard, God always has a plan for man. And God's standard is that a man and a woman have kids and that we live happily ever after. Come on now. The problem is that God doesn't always get his way. That God has a standard. He said, this is the way we want to do it. But man comes in and, and we're, we're broken. We've got a mess going on. And so it, what, it, what it all boils down to is that re reality for many people is dramatically different than what God would have planned for their life. And that's a fact. And so we don't need to get into all that, the reasons why look, families break up and there's all kinds of things that take place. But there's absentee dads, and we need, to, we need to address this problem in our society. There's absentee dads. There's, there, there's very many reasons why there's absentee dads. Some, some dads, you know, die. As a matter of fact, I've, uh, tomorrow morning at 1030, I've got to bury a dad in Gonzales tomorrow. Young man, 57 years old, just dropped dead. We've got to put him in the ground. He's a dad. His two, his two children, as a matter of fact, our niece and nephew, he's our brother-in-law. Uh, it's Father's Day for them, but they have no father. He's absent. 
There's absentee dads because of divorce. There's absentee dads because of abandonment. There's absentee dads because of incarceration. But, but I, this is what I believe is the worst absentee dad. And that's the dad that's in the home, but absent from the home, absent from the family. There's more of those than anything else. And they produce statistics that are, that are not really the kind that we would like to have. Absentee dads, just listen to a few of these statistics. Some people love statistics, some people can't stand statistics, but we're in an age now that statistics are dead on and they tell the story and you can't argue with them anymore. There's a science to them, so watch this. 71% of teen pregnancies are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 90% of runaways and homeless children are because there's not a dad in the house. 85% of behavioral disorders in teens are from fatherless homes. That's why I would strongly suggest, and we as a staff would strongly suggest, dads, get in this emotional health seminar next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here. Give three hours of your life, invest three hours of your life in this seminar to help you develop patterns that will give you emotional health, come on now, emotional stability, so that you can bring that to your children. It's imperative that you do this. And then 45% of all children without a father in the home. 45% of all children in America right now or in a home where dad is not present. Now, the statistics are only counting those who are out of the home. We could probably add another 25 or 30% when we go with fathers who are in the home but not present. And so we have a situation. There's a problem. And the thing about, uh, about problems is most people, most people run from problems in various ways. But I want, to make a, I want to make a statement to you right now. Dads don't run from problems. They intentionally lead to find solutions. Let me say it again. Dads don't run from problems. They intentionally, intentionally, intentionally lead to find solutions. If you don't do something intentionally, if you're not intentional about your life, usually it doesn't happen or something else happens in its place. I would say that one of the greatest problems that we have is that we're not intentional or deliberate about the way we live. We just feel like it's going to happen. You know, we make a baby, and somehow or another we feel like that makes us a father. But it does not make us a father. It's what we do with that child that makes us a father. And you have to be intentional about that. So I was thinking about this. I knew I was going to be sharing today a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and I was just, you know, praying, thinking, meditating, looking for illustrations because as, as pastors, we are, we'll preach anything. I mean, the, oh, the, the red light turned green. Ha, that's a good illustration. You know what I mean? And I was thinking about it. And, and the Lord just brought to my attention the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the model prayer that Jesus uh, shared with his disciples and showed me some things in there I'm going to share with you. And then last Sunday, uh, Pastor Ken stands up, and what does he bring? The first scripture that he brings to us is the model prayer. I'd already told Jan about it. She punched, because I preach everything to her 10 times before I preach it to you. And she just punched me. She said, wow, 
That's, that's cool. I think it's cool. I think out of all the scriptures in the Bible, God would use Matthew chapter 6. So in verse 9, I just want to read it straight through. Jesus says, they said, teach us to pray. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes on to say, yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so I found in this scripture, embedded in this scripture, in this model prayer, were characteristics or traits of successful dads. Because we always want to attach our dadhood, our fatherhood, to our heavenly father. Because he is the one who teaches us how to be good, successful dads. I give all the glory to God for teaching me how to raise my three kids. Because if it wasn't for Jesus coming into my life and changing everything, I would have more than likely raised my kids the way I was raised, and that was not acceptable. That was not acceptable for another generation. It had to stop somewhere, and God intervened and intersected our life and stopped it dry and did a 90-degree, matter of fact, a complete turn, a U-turn. And so I was privileged because of Scripture, because of church, because of leadership in my life. I was privileged to be able to raise my kids totally different than I was raised. And the fruit of it is so much better than what I, I had. So I want to share with you five traits that's embedded in this scripture that's going to make you a better dad. That's going to have, we're going to have this conversation. And when you leave here, you've got to be better, especially you got teenagers sitting in here because they're hearing it too. And when they hear it too, they expect it's going to happen. And so they're going to be watching and see if dad's going to do this. So you ready? Jesus said this. He said, hallowed be your name. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That, that speaks of such honor. That speaks of such respect as, as our heavenly father. Jesus is saying, you've got to honor your God. You've got to help, you know, people know your God. He's, he's holy. He's in heaven. And so the first thing is that dads lead in honor. They lead in honor. You see, fatherhood is a place of honor. The thing about being in a place of honor is that you're in that office. It's like being the mayor of our city or being the governor of our state, being a judge on the bench. Those are places of honor. They, they, they deserve honor. Matter of fact, when you go to a courtroom, he's called your honor. And when he comes in the room, we have to stand up and give honor to not necessarily the man, because not all judges are proper, but it gives honor to the office the man has. The reason you honor the pastors here, the, the reason you're going to honor Pastor Jordan is maybe not because he's the greatest thing in the whole wide world, but because he's in the office of pastor. And we're going to receive honor because we are in the office, in the place of father of the household. And the thing about it is, is that honor has to be given, but in that respect has to be earned. So we have a grave responsibility to be the type person that earns the respect of our children, the way we live, what we do. We have to protect the place, 
the seat of honor, which is the father of the home, the leader of the home. We have to be mindful of that place. We have to protect it by a proper lifestyle. We cannot tear it down by living one way and then expecting children to honor and respect us in another way. And usually we could get away from it, you know? We could just kind of skirt the issue because for the most part, everybody was kind of ignorant. But we are in the age of information now and application of information and putting information in context. And so let me tell you something. Our kids know a whole lot more than kids used to know. And no longer is it good to say kids need to be seen and not heard. That should have never been. I think kids need to be seen and I think they need to be heard. Come on now. It's good for you. They'll either, you'll either hear from them when they're little, you know, and as they grow up, or you'll hear from them when they're adults. Because when they get adults, they start telling you some things that you thought you had down pat, but they just circumvented everything you had. They pulled the wool over your eyes, and you thought you really had it. You thought you had it nailed down, and they had you nailed down. I will say this, that you don't want to be afraid, Dad, to take responsibility for your family by faithfully executing that office of leader of your entire family. I don't think we're, we're at a place any longer where we can shirk our responsibility and get away with it, guys. I believe we're going to be called on the carpet. I believe we've got a responsibility. We've got grace to fulfill the responsibility. And we've got a whole lot of people expecting and needing us to fulfill that responsibility. So that's this place of honor. And then Jesus goes on, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that speaks a, a lot of what God was wanting to do about vision, about a plan. I believe God has a plan for every individual's life. I believe that. I believe God crafted you, he birthed you, and he has a plan and a direction. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the day of your birth and the day of your death. He knows everything about you and he's crafted this plan for you. But what you have to do, you have to sincerely and seriously seek after God and surrender yourself to his will, and when you do that, you will find your purpose in life because every person is searching for purpose in life. Everybody wants to know, where do I count in this equation? Where is my place? Why am I alive? And God will teach you that and show you that. But in the same way, men, dads need to lead in vision. If I was to ask you right now, if I was to give you this microphone and have you stand up in front of this room, could you share the vision that you have for your children? Do you have a plan for your children? Are you executing that plan? You say, well, Pastor, you got to give me the plan. Well, I can't give you the plan for your family. You need to have the plan. What if your family, this afternoon when you got around the table eating, what happened if your 12-year-old your looked at you and said, Dad, what kind of plan do you have for my life? Where am I supposed? I don't know what I'm doing. What have you planned? What have you prayed? What have you heard from God? What if, what if that was the conversation? What would you say? Come on now. It would be, for me, the way you're looking at me right now, because you got that look on your face, you look at me saying, don't give me the mic. And I hope that conversation, matter of fact, I'm going to play golf this afternoon. I don't want to have that conversation. 
But it was a conversation that we need to have. It's not that you want to live vicariously through your children because too many people do that. In other words, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do as a kid. So now that I got money and, and, and I've got time and ability, I'm going to live my life through. That's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about manipulating your children into being something they don't want to be. One of the greatest uh, success stories that, that I could find would be of a dad who saw in his children their potential and their giftings and then moved them into that arena and then allowed them to become what they wanted to become. Because it's no problem if your son comes and says, Dad, I want to be a lawyer. It's like, yes. Dad, I want to be a doctor. Yes. Dad, I want to be a police officer. Well, I don't know about that. Dad, I would love to work in landscaping. Well, Dad, you know, my whole life, all I ever want to do is be an over-the-land truck driver. Well, well, I, we got to talk about that. But what if that was what God put in them? What if that would be the gifting? Something totally different than what you think they ought to be. There's got to be vision. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18? It says, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. What I'm saying is that as dads, if we don't give direction to our family, they may not have vision, and if they don't have vision, they may not have any restraints in their life. So very important. You say, boy, that sounds tough. You better know being a good dad is tough stuff. Very, very difficult, very, very strenuous, very much struggle. So very needed. So you need a plan of action. And it's got to be deliberate and it's got to be intentional. Listen to me, dads. Get off of it and get with it. Come on now. Intentionality. In other words, I'm going to find out what I need to do, and I'm going to do it. That's what, God, that's what God did with his kingdom. He had a plan. His plan was to send Jesus. We know the story. He's executing his plan right now. And then Jesus goes on and he says, you know what? Give us this day our daily bread. You know that's speaking of? That's speaking of, Father, you are the provider for me. And it's easy for us to be churchy and say, God, you're going to provide everything. But you know what God says? Go to work. Because God says dads lead as the provider. Dads lead as the provider. It's just hilarious. You, you know what? Give us this day our daily bread. From the very beginning, man has always, men, men have always gone out and gathered. They were gatherers. Aren't you glad you're not in the Stone Age? You wouldn't be in church right now. You'd be climbing a tree trying to get a monkey to eat for supper or something like that. I mean, you'd go out and get the bacon, and I'm talking about kill the hog. You know what I'm saying? But as providers, that's right. Dads work hard every day. The work ethic is very, very strong. As a matter of fact, I say it this way. We thrive when we provide. Come on, man. You know you, you, you thrive when you are the provider. And I know we got a lot of stay-home dads now. That's a new trend. Hadn't reached down to the South yet as much. Well, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. But I want to tell you this right now. Hey, look, man, I'm just going to talk to you. The women aren't listening right now. I would rather go plow with a mule all day than take care of three kids in the house. 
Okay, they didn't hear that. They didn't hear that. Don't tell them I said that. We provide. We provide monetarily. Now, I know ladies work. I'm not getting into all that. I'm talking to the dads. We provide monetarily. We provide emotionally. And we provide spiritually. We're leading as we provide. We are the ones who have to provide. Now, if we don't provide, guess what happens? Mom steps in. We know that's what happens. When there's a vacuum in the home, mamas fill in the vacuum. And I'm not talking about the Auric vacuum cleaner. I'm talking about when we don't do what we're supposed to do, eventually mom is going to come in and do it. And then we're going to get all bossy and say, ah, you're trying to control everything. That woman I married, well, if she would speak up, she'd say, you're not doing it, so I'm going to do it. We are to provide this way. You know, Pastor Ken said this. He said, my daughters, he said, when a man wants to, you know, marry my daughters, I want to know if he's saved and serving Jesus. Well, I want to add something to that. I want to know if he's going to work. Listen to me, young women. Never, (laughs) never marry a man. I don't care if he's got a holy halo around his head. And he can quote you a thousand verses of scripture. If he don't work, run. Run fast. Run as fast as you can. You know why? You know why? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. This is why. This is why. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. I hadn't figured out what's worse than an unbeliever, but it's, it's way down on the line. You got to work, man, and you got to work every day. No, don't come here and say, wow, I didn't, I didn't miss work in three days. I feel good about myself. I've been working since I'm 11. I'm tired of working, guys. I'm 66. I'm, you know, it's been a long time. But got to keep providing. All right, Mama? Dads, you know, you should be proud to provide. It's what we do. It's what we do. And then Jesus said this. He said, I want you to forgive other people their debts because you've been forgiven your debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He said, man, forgiveness is a way of life. Now, here he goes. Dads, listen to me. There are going to be many, many opportunities where you get to forgive your kids for things they do wrong. Kids make mistakes. Kids lack judgment. Kids lack understanding. You know, the people who know about these things say that the brain in the area of judgment and understanding, complete judgment, being able to make the bright calls, is not fully developed until somebody's 25 years old. That's why they won't rent cars. That's why they actually, how old are you? you say, I'm 21. They say, we're not renting you a car because judge- your brain's not developed yet. <laughs> In other words, you think it's all right to run through that caution light. That's really red. And so they know that. And so they make mistakes. You need to be quick to forgive, quick to embrace, quick to let them know that you're not holding a grudge against them. But on the other side of the coin, dads, I'm going to give you one of the greatest things you can do to gain honor and respect in your home from your children. 
And that is, when you really mess it up, you ask your family, your children to forgive you. Oh, yeah, you see, you just call a meeting. You call a family meeting. Most of the time you call a family meeting because you're going to get everybody in line. You know how it is. Time for a family meeting. Get around this table here. Now, this has been going on at our house. I won't tell you right now. It ain't going to happen no more around here. I'm putting my foot down, but I got to take it out of my mouth first. You know what I'm talking about. You kids know what I'm talking about, right? Your dad's been wrong so many times. You're not calling him on every time because that'd be disrespectful, wouldn't it? And you sit at that kitchen table and you look those kids in the face and you tell them that you failed them. Whatever it is, you went on a rampage in the house and shouldn't have. You treated their mother like a prostitute and you shouldn't have. You trashed the house. Whatever it might be, you said things that shouldn't have been said. You went places, did things. Whatever it is, I don't know, you know. And you sit down and you say, I want to ask you to forgive me. I've been a bad example. I've been a wrong leader. And I'm going to do better. And you're going to see that I do better. These are things that have to take place. Forgiveness. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to say I'm wrong. Jan and I were traveling not long ago, and uh, I just was kind of sideways and not treating her right. And so I, I laid in the bed while she slept in the hotel room, and I took out my phone, and I wrote a giant article of why am I the way I am. And I just pulled back the curtain completely and shared everything I knew about why I am the way I am and what's going on. And at the end, I just said, you don't deserve to be treated this way. I ask you to forgive me, and I promise to do better than what I've been doing. You see, you just got to just open up the gate, guys. Just because you're a guy doesn't mean you're perfect. And most of us guys are very proud, and it's very difficult for us to admit that we are absolutely wrong. But if you'll do that, you'll see the the respect lever. Go Now, don't just do it to get respect. Do it because your heart has to be corrected. The byproduct is respect and forgiveness. It's there. And then you know what else? The last thing Jesus said, he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus understood what that meant. He understood what it meant to be delivered from the evil one. He had faced Satan one-on-one, face-to-face, in the wilderness while he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. As a matter of fact, all of the redemption of man was on the table in the wilderness. He had to win that battle first. And so, you know what this tells us? This tells us that dads need to lead in spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare is something that we're not so keen on. We've got our guns, we've got our alarms, we've got our systems, we've got our locks, and we've got our training. And I don't know about you, but boy, when you come against my kids, I bow up pretty quick. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? You, you come, you know, ain't that right, dads? Man, if you don't, you need to get with the program. Man up, why don't you? You know somebody come against your kids. Now, if they deserve it, that's one thing. But somebody just start messing with your kids. You bow up. You know what I'm talking about? 
You want to do something about it, you know? And, and, and there are times where you can do things about it. But I'm going to tell you, in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual battle, our guns and our alarms and our training and all that means absolutely nothing. Because I'm going to let you in on something. The devil ain't scared of your gun. You can't shoot a spirit. You can't stop a spiritual onslaught with any kind of earthly weapon or system or conversation. You have to understand spiritual warfare. You've got to understand what is going on. Notice this, men. If you'll be alert in your home, all of a sudden things begin to get really weird, and you really can't put your finger on why it is the way it is. Everybody seems to be in line. Everything seems to be right. But there's this element that you can't, with your eyes or your ears, you can't change it within. You know, you can't feel it. Take it from me. you got a spiritual battle that's going on. You have a spiritual enemy. The devil is real. Demons are real. They have a plan. They are plotting. They have power. And they're, gonna, they're going to execute their plan against you. And you need to understand it. That's why so many times families are fighting against one another. And it's really the devil that's causing this thing. It's a spiritual war. But we throw rocks at each other. And that's exactly what we do. We play right into the hands of the enemy. So we've got to know how to wage spiritual warfare. So how does, it, how does it happen? When it comes to kids, how does it happen? I'm going to give you four things real quick, and then we'll be done, okay? Number one, I think we need, to, we need to learn how to pray. We need help from heaven. We need help from the Holy Spirit to see what's going on in your home. You need help. You, you can't always see. You don't always know. But when you pray, it's amazing what God will do, what he will reveal and show you, bring to light. He'll manifest it, so you need to pray. Number two, you need to live a biblical lifestyle. You have to model the behavior that you want in your children. You cannot say, do what I say, but don't do what I do. You have to say, do what I say, and do what I do. Follow me as I follow God. Come on, I'm leading you in spiritual warfare. I'm leading you through this battle. You get behind me. I'm shielding you. It's going to be all right. And then you take it to task. But if you live a lifestyle that's contrary to the word of God, you're never going to do war in the spirit. You're just a bird on a wire and the devil's got a 12-gauge double barrel, you don't have a chance. You're like the birds we shot when we went on a hunt. I thought we were going to hunt birds. We were, but I didn't know that at 4 a.m., the, the hunt master went out and put birds in the bush for us. <laughs> we shot these birds all to pieces. I felt good about myself till we got back to the lodge and they told me, oh, at 4 a.m. the hunt master went and put these doves or what, not doves, what, whatever, these quail, yeah, quail, went and put them in the bush. They're like tame birds. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. When they took the flight, you see, because, because they're not wild, they don't fly fast, we pelayed a whole bunch of those birds. <laughs> they didn't have a chance, you hear me? We had dogs. We had big guns, and they flew slow. <laughs> now, don't get mad at me, you that love all the little birds and all that. They tasted so good. <laughs> and don't get mad, because you're going to eat hamburger and all that kind of stuff and steak later on. So watch this. But that's how we are. When we try to do warfare without the spirit, we're like a little old tame quail. 
put in a bush at 4 a.m. and the devil's got a double barrel and we just try to fly and, and we can't even maneuver and pow. And our kids go with it. I think number three, we need to set wise boundaries to keep your children safe. I want you to discipline your kids, but I don't want you to provoke your kids to anger. You need to learn how to do this. You say, well, how do you do it? Go study. Be intentional. Be deliberate. Be serious. The greatest commodity God will ever give you are your children. The greatest thing, the greatest challenge, the greatest blessing, the greatest reward is to raise godly kids. But it does not happen automatically. Get off an autopilot. Put your hands on the steering wheel of this plane. And come on, pilot this thing to heaven. Amen? Let's do this thing. We can do this thing. And then lastly, I think you need to early, very early, create channels of conversation with your kids. Learn how to talk to them. This is what I believe happens. If you teach them how to speak and talk and have conversations and open their heart to you when they're young, I think they'll do it when they're old. But if you wait until there's a problem in the home when they're 14, they're not going to tell you a word. They're going to clam up. And I want to tell you something right now. I think one of the worst things in the world is a quiet teenager. You talk about a challenge. And then there you are. Your heart is breaking and you're trying to get them to talk and they just give you that, that you know, that thing, that silence, that, that just that stare. And you try everything you know and they won't open up because you never taught them how to open up. You have to teach children. You have to get their heart early and you need to try to keep their heart through the treacherous waters of teenage years until they rise on the shore of adulthood and there they become your best friend instead of your worst enemy. It is what it is. Honor, vision, providing, forgiveness, and spiritual warfare all right there in the Lord's prayer. Now, Dad, this is what I want to do. I want to pray with you right now. And I believe that God's going to answer this prayer. For those of you who are serious, who will surrender, I believe God's going to answer this prayer, and I believe things are going to be different. Are you ready for that? Right now, we're not going to bow our heads. We're not even going to close our eyes when we pray. We're going to pray for dads. And there's three things I wrote down that I want to pray for. I want to pray against the, the, the fear so that you're free from your failures. I want to pray for wisdom for the future, and I want to pray for grace for today. Are you ready to do that, men? And it'd be good if you're a mother on the side of the daddy. You might start praying for that man. Because we are the head of the family. And when the devil comes to, to rob, kill, steal, and destroy, he is going to come at the man. He wants to take men out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I agree together with every man sitting in this room. That, Lord God, you will free us from our past failures. That we will be set free from the mistakes that we have made. From the responsibilities that we have shirked. For the times that we should have stood up when we sat down. And we ask you to forgive us and free us from that. 
We admit, Lord, that we have failed in that area many, many times, but Lord, we are believing now for wisdom for the future. We're praying, Lord God, that you give us wisdom from heaven, not the earthly wisdom that is devilish, but Lord God, the wisdom that comes from your heart. I pray every man would be a wise man. Every dad would be a wise dad. A man who stands for righteousness, a man who knows the way that the family ought to go. I'm believing you, Lord, right now that men are going to stand up full of wisdom. You told us wisdom is the principal thing, Lord. And Father, we pray for grace for today. Grace for change right now. Grace for a change in direction. Father, you know every man in this room that needs to make an about face. And I pray right now, God, that your grace would flood their hearts and that, God, they would find strength today to ask forgiveness if need be, to change their direction and be men of God to stand in their family and lead in every point that we've shared today. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Now, I believe this. I'm a preacher, and I believe that everything starts with a relationship with Jesus. And I wanted to put a verse up on the board real quick. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation, the changing of the human heart is the most important thing that anybody will ever do. I'll go as far to say this. You cannot be a godly father or a godly person, man, woman, a child, without a true relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads with me right now. And I want you to examine yourself. Some of you came into this place and just, you need, you need help from God. You're disconnected. I was disconnected. He loves you. He'll fight for you. He's for you, not against you. He'll not remember your sins against you if you will confess them. He loves you. He died for you. And this is what we're going to do. I want to pray with you just a minute, right where you are. We're not going to make you do anything weird. All I'm going to ask you to do is while your head is bowed and your eyes closed and, and while your heart is open before God, if you would say, if in your mind, in your heart right now, you say, you know what, I, I really want to serve Jesus. I truly want to be a believer. I want to be a Christian. I want my sins forgiven and I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. I want you to just shoot your hand up right now, just right where you are. Just put it up, put it right back down. Thank you for your hand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Come on, just shoot it straight up. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you back there all the way on the back. Yeah, that's right, sir. Thank you. Greatest gift you'll ever give your children, man, is to become a Christian man. Right here to my left. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. People who say, I'm serious about serving God. I'm going to ask one more time. If you haven't put your hand up, just shoot it up one more time. You say, Pastor, I want to pray. I want to believe God. That's right. Thank you so much. All right, now look up here. We're going to put a prayer up on the, the board. And we're just going to pray this prayer. Now remember, you're accepting Jesus. And we're all going to pray it together. Because it's, it's sort of like a prayer that, you know, 
Not a wrong prayer to pray, even though you know Jesus. But are you ready? We're just going to say it nice and slow. You ready? Say it out loud, meaning in your heart God's listening to you. Say this. Say, God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Help me to start doing things your way. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I commit to live my life for you. I repent of my sins right now. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, we want to rejoice. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.